0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, May 7th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Twitter introduces a tip jar, literally called Tip Jar. Why crypto trading juicing squares earnings is worth thinking about. What is the mysterious social space Netflix is surveying its users about building? Yes, Substack is letting writers build magazines and newsrooms, so stop pointing out the obvious. And of course, the weekend long read suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Tech. As expected, Twitter has taken the wraps off of Tip Jar, a new feature allowing everyone using Twitter in English to send tips, and a limited group, including journalists and experts, to actually accept those tips, quoting The Verge. To use the Tip Jar, simply tap on the freshly added dollar bill icon next to someone's username when viewing their profile on one of Twitter's mobile apps. Users will be able to toggle the tip jar feature too for those individuals or organizations that don't want people just sending them cash out of the blue. Android users will also be able to send money in Twitter's Clubhouse-like spaces. Tip jar supports a variety of payment options and links: Bandcamp, Cash App, Patreon, PayPal, and Venmo. Twitter is using those services' external payment processors for transactions. It doesn't take a cut. All English language Twitter users can send tips starting today, but only a select group, including creators, journalists, experts, and nonprofits, can turn on the feature to accept money for now. Notably, the only way to access TipJar right now is through navigating to a user's profile. That means sending someone money for a truly fantastic tweet will still take a bit more effort than, say, just liking or retweeting it. There are already some issues that Twitter will have to work out as well, as spotted by Rachel Toback. Sending tips through PayPal using TipJar currently allows whoever is sending the money to see the recipient's address, which is a worrying security issue that Twitter and PayPal will hopefully resolve soon." End quote. No doubt Chris Messina will have plenty to say about this on our Twitter space tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Be there or be square, or be there and tip square, I guess. I apologize for the bad dad joke. Speaking of square... I just wanted to squeeze in this little earnings nugget to point out something that I've been finding interesting lately. Square yesterday announced an earnings beat for its Q1 with revenue of $5.06 billion, which was up 266% year over year. But get this, it also reported $3.5 billion in Bitcoin revenue, which was up 11x year over year, which helped the company report gross profit of $964 million, up 79% year over year. But note that most of that profit, or at least $495 million worth, came from Cash App. Only $75 million came from Bitcoin. But again, that's growing at quite a clip, quoting CNBC. On the company's earnings call, CEO Jack Dorsey said Square sees Bitcoin as the internet's potential to have a native currency, and the company wants to, quote, further that as much as we can. Our focus, first and foremost, is on enabling Bitcoin to be the native currency, said Dorsey. It removes a bunch of friction for our business, and we believe fully that it creates more opportunities for economic empowerment around the world, end quote. So the point that I want to make here is that As we've seen with Coinbase, as we've seen with PayPal, and now as we're seeing with Square, allowing people to dabble in crypto is very, very profitable. And everyone seems to want to get in on the act all of a sudden. News came earlier this week that crypto custody startup NYDIG says it has partnered with Fidelity National Information Services to let more U.S. bank customers buy, hold, and sell Bitcoin. So, your bank wants in on this action, too. Soon, crypto will be coming to everything because there's money to be made. But also, just as when your social media app doesn't want you spending your time on a different social media app, your bank, your banks of America, your chases, your fidelities don't want you spending time on these newfangled exchanges. They want to keep you loyal in their little sandboxes. So expect them all to have crypto very, very soon. In one year, we've gone from banks being skeptical of even speaking the name crypto to crypto being a key product for basically everyone. Question I have is, with all of this current and coming reliance on crypto, what would happen if we saw a crypto crash? One year ago right now, Bitcoin was under ten thousand Fourteen Fourteen months ago, it was flirting with sub $5,000 levels. Many economists, like our good friend Noah Smith, have said that crypto is harmless because it's largely not tied to the larger economy or the banking infrastructure. But for how long can we say that? Now, here's something interesting as well. Netflix is apparently surveying users about something they're calling N+, because I guess, you know, if you're going to do something new, it's got to be plus, right? Netflix is seeking feedback on folks' interest in features such as podcasts and user-generated playlists of shows and music. So, what is this, like a Spotify clone? I mean, both Netflix and Spotify have said repeatedly that the name of the game for them is time spent in app. But then again, maybe this is just Netflix knowing that so much of the discourse around their TV shows now takes place on podcasts, and like Apple... Has been starting experimenting with. They just want a piece of that action, or at least to control the discourse. Quoting protocol. Custom TV show playlists in memoriam pages. They're all things that Netflix is weighing for N Plus, a project it describes as a quote, future online space where you can learn more about the Netflix shows and things related to them. In a survey sent to users, including protocol reporter Biz Carson. Netflix queried people about a wide range of features and content, including podcasts, user-generated playlists, how-tos, and more. Quote, N Plus is a future online space where you can learn more about the Netflix shows you love and anything related to them, the survey said. Contacted by protocol, a Netflix spokesperson said that the survey was part of regular efforts to pull its audience on things the company was exploring, but said that it didn't have anything further to share for now. Netflix has long produced behind-the-scenes interviews, podcasts, and other supporting content to promote its originals and shared it through YouTube, Instagram, and other platforms. Examples for this include its Netflix family Instagram account, or strong Black-led Twitter following, the survey now suggests that the company may double down on those promotional efforts while also adding some additional social features. One feature mentioned is the ability to build and share custom playlists so that N Plus users could theoretically build lists of their favorite TV shows and publish them online or share with friends. Quote, if viewers are not members, they can see a trailer for the show itself, the survey sent to this author said. The playlist idea also extends to music, where the survey asked how people would feel about N Plus listing all the music from a TV show and people being able to create playlists from that, end quote. Okay, so maybe just a social media space around everything Netflix. Again, Netflix has benefited from all of your memes and discourse floating around the larger interwebs, so maybe they just want to build a tiny little walled garden to cultivate some of that. They are the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Com. That's yahoofinance.com. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com Let's do a quick check-in with some of our favorite, most buzzed-about recent startups. I have too many substacks. I have too many subscriptions to newsletters in my inbox, says everyone. Well, what if you combined substacks into one vertical and, I don't know, called it a magazine? Also says everyone, well... Substack has added what it calls sections, which will allow writers to set up and manage multiple newsletters or podcasts within one publication, a feature reminiscent of traditional newsrooms, quoting the Financial Times. We called Substack co-founder Hamish McKenzie at his home in New Zealand and asked him what the deal was. He told us, emphasis ours: some writers want to go beyond a single newsletter-style publication and start to build something resembling more of a full-featured publication or even like a mini-media empire. I think it will allow for some really interesting possibilities. For an individual writer, you can have these multiple sub-products within your master product. And then for teams of writers, you can start to develop a more newsroom-type approach or a news publication type approach. Maybe you have something on politics, for example, and something on sports and something on religion within the same publication, end quote. So if you thought you were a smarty pants for saying all these newsletters are just reinventing the media wheel, reinventing magazines, congratulations, you were right. But Substack is smart enough to have seen that too. Now, what about our other fave, Clubhouse? let me quote from an entire section of Casey Newton's newsletter this morning, quote, in a viral thread from March predicting doom for Clubhouse, investor Shane Purry predicted that the company's growth would rapidly decline, and it would eventually pull two big levers in an attempt to reverse the decline. One was to announce a bunch of original content. The second was to pivot to live chilling with friends. The first thing that happened after this thread went viral is that Clubhouse growth rapidly declined. The second thing that happened as of Wednesday is that Clubhouse announced a bunch of original content. Here's John Porter at The Verge, quote, Clubhouse is funding the creation of 50 audio shows made by creators on its platform. The concepts include everything from an interview series with Taryn Southern to a bunch of shows discussing the culture of hairstyles to a game show called Serial Killer Speed Dating participants will each get $5,000 per month in stipends for three months, plus gear and creative support to help them create the series. The goal is to develop and pilot each show over the next three months. If shows take off, there's a possibility Clubhouse will sign some of them to a longer-term deal. Now back to quoting Casey, feels a little small potatoes for a company now valued at $4 billion, but perhaps I'm underestimating the value that serial killer speed dating will unlock here. Meanwhile, Ben Thompson, who, like me, was initially quite enthusiastic about Clubhouse's prospects dialed that back a bit in a good post today. He notes that Twitter's Spaces product has proven to be a surprisingly good fit for the app and likely sapped some of Clubhouse's momentum. Clubhouse, he writes, quote, may have to go on a Twitter-like journey of their own, figure out what exactly they had, and slowly build up from there, winning people back one by one, end quote. Maybe there's something in live chilling after all, Casey says, end quote. Time for the weekend long read suggestions, and they're sort of crypto heavy this week, quite accidentally. Much discourse and debate has gone into how much energy Bitcoin and crypto consume and to what degree they may be bad for the planet. Harvard Business Review has a deep dive on this, and TLDR, they sort of end up. Splitting the difference a bit. Quote It's important to understand that many environmental concerns are exaggerated or based on flawed assumptions or misunderstandings of how the Bitcoin protocol works. That means that when we ask, is Bitcoin worth its environmental impact, the actual negative impact we're talking about is likely a lot less alarming than you might think. But there's no denying that Bitcoin, like almost everything else that adds value in our society, does consume resources. As with every other energy consuming industry, it's up to the crypto community to acknowledge and address these environmental concerns, work in good faith to reduce. Bitcoin's carbon footprint, and ultimately demonstrate that the societal value Bitcoin provides is worth the resources needed to sustain it, end quote. One thing we haven't discussed this week is the surge in the price of Dogecoin. We can maybe get into this on the Twitter space tonight, but I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit perplexed about how to or to what degree to even cover Doge. It's a joke currency. Everybody acknowledges that. So can the joke be real? If it gets real enough or expensive enough, well, Bloomberg looks at the crypto pros who are quite frankly getting tired of this joke because it is making their, in their eyes, serious crypto projects look bad. Nick Carter's first foray into digital currencies was mining Dogecoin in his university dorm back in 2013. Created as a joke with the Shiba Inu dog breed as its logo, the meme-inspired token seemed more fun than Bitcoin and its community of diehards. The 28-year-old now runs a crypto data provider that counts Goldman Sachs among its investors. He's lost access to a trove of Dogecoin that has surged roughly 200,000% since the token's inception. But like many industry pros these days, he has little affection for the coin and has lost no sleep over his trapped profits. "Quote: There's this parallel industry of people that are just interested in running glorified bucket shops said Carter, co-founder of CoinMetrics, based in Boston. For most of us, we're in this for ideological reasons. It doesn't really affect us, end quote. Just this morning, I saw this thread by John Sue, who works at Brightloom. He began the thread by saying this, quote, I'm seeing a lot of people FOMO quit their jobs to join crypto. Probably out of some over-romanticized view of what goes on in these projects, let me illuminate you about what actually happens. He went on to discuss a whole bunch of the realities of working in crypto that has a lot of crypto folks that I know nodding their heads on Twitter today. Read the whole thread, but let me just give you three of the key insights. Number one, you aim to build a community, but in reality, 90% of your Telegram slash Discord are scammers and people asking why the price is going down slash accusations that you and your entire team should go to jail. And you realize that most of the influencer network of crypto is actually a cartel of individuals who all know each other and collude in pumping the same bags. They all cost around twenty dollars to $30,000 for a review, by the way. And, legally, you can't talk about token price, but it's your ultimate marketing tool. If it's necessary for the security of your network, you're screwed. You have to shill the token. And you have to assure people that the price will go up. But that's also illegal in the U.S., and actually, I can't resist. One more. There's actually a good chance that there's not a single person in your entire state or country that knows how to do your taxes, end quote. Bitcoin Magazine has a long read about the Ur-Legend of crypto, the er mystery of crypto. Where did Satoshi go? The piece looks back at the moment in time when the creator of Bitcoin disappeared. It hasn't been heard from since. It's a funny thing about crypto. We've said over and over again, it's all about decentralization, and yet most of the successful projects thus far are anything but. And when we think about Bitcoin as this protocol no one controls, not even governments, how do you square that with the fact that it was one man's vision? At one point in time in the Bitcoin project, Satoshi Nakamoto was looked at as Bitcoin's god, almost literally, because he almost single-handedly created Bitcoin. So what happens when God just leaves. And finally, check out the New Yorker interview with someone comedy nerds think of as a bit of a comedy god. Quote, it's been nearly 20 years since the reclusive, mysterious, almost mythical comedy writer John Schwartzwelder left The Simpsons, and yet to this day, one of the biggest compliments a Simpson writer or any comedy writer can receive is to have a joke referred to as Schwartzweldian meaning a joke that comes out of nowhere, a joke that no one else could have written, a joke that sounds almost as if it was never written, as if it's always existed. Take the following joke, a favorite among Simpsons writers and fans, which appears in season eight's Homer versus the 18th Amendment, when Homer stands atop a stack of barrels outside a pawn shop and delivers a toast to a gathered crowd. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Schwarzfelder wrote that. He's been deemed one of the greatest comedy minds of all time. He is famously private and never grants interviews. Few photos of him exist, although he did make some animated cameos as background Simpsons characters. He applied for but never got a job at late night and had an uncomfortable interview with its host, David Letterman. He worked at Saturday Night Live in 1985 for one particularly rocky season before being hired four years later at The Simpsons based partly on his contributions to a little-known comedy zine. He went on to write 59 episodes more than any other writer in the show's history, end quote. Click through for the interview with the J.D. Salinger of The Simpsons. Tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, whatever that is, Greenwich Mean Time, a Twitter space with myself and Chris Messina. Everyone will be able to hear a recording of the space tomorrow when I get a chance to edit it tomorrow morning and release it at the usual times. And Ride Home Plus subscribers, you've got an interesting raises episode. And in fact, you might get two this month. There have been so many interesting raises just this week that I already could do an entire second episode with them. If you want a piece of the Ride Home Plus action, remember, go to tech.supercast.tech. Hopefully, I'll remember to put a link to that at the bottom of the show notes. Have a good weekend. See you on Monday.